Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. More civilian casualties in Ukraine in both the capital and in the separatist region. Russian President Vladimir Putin accusing Kyiv of stalling peace talks. A Chinese official meets with Russia's ambassador to China. And while sanctions crush Russia's economy, who's benefiting? We hear a viewpoint from an expert in the finance industry who says China is benefiting the most from Russian sanctions. Ukrainian refugees are pouring into Germany and Sweden. Germany's chancellor says the upcoming influx will pose a major challenge to the country. Some Democrat Party activists in Wisconsin are suing three of the state's Republican lawmakers. The lawsuit seeks to bar them from serving in Congress in light of their response to the January 6th Capitol breach. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said today he expects progress on EU membership within a few months. That's after speaking with the head of the European Commission. This, as more civilian casualties were reported today on both sides of the conflict. NTD's Jessica Beatty reports. Russia fired missiles at an airport near Lviv in western Ukraine Friday morning. The mayor said the missiles hit repair facilities for aircraft and buses. No casualties were immediately reported. And over in the capital, Kyiv, one person is dead and several are wounded after parts of a Russian missile fell on an apartment building Friday. That's according to emergency services. Residents now gathering what's left. The missile fell. It fell down and there was nothing left of the apartment. I'm barely alive myself. I see the missile hit our building. All apartments are totally destroyed. I don't know where I'm going to live now. The mayor's brother, former world boxing heavyweight champion Vladimir Klitschko, urged the West to take an active position. Support us with defensive weapons, with humanitarian help. And in the southeast, in Mariupol, footage shows the bombed-out remains of a theater where hundreds of people were sheltering. Russia's defense ministry said separatists, with the help of Russian forces, are, quote, tightening the noose around Mariupol. Casualties in Donetsk, too. A witness said four people were killed when a shell hit a residential building Friday morning. Authorities said mortar rounds fired by Ukrainian nationalists killed four people in the past day, but they didn't say where or when the shelling happened. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin told Germany's chancellor in a call Friday that Kyiv is trying to stall peace talks with Russia. Putin said, quote, the Kyiv regime is attempting in every possible way to delay the negotiation process, putting forward more and more unrealistic proposals. Putin said Moscow still wants to continue talks. During the call, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz called for a ceasefire and said the two sides need to find a diplomatic solution as soon as possible. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. An official from China's foreign ministry met with Russia's ambassador to China. On Thursday, they discussed bilateral relations. According to a Friday statement, their discussion included counterterrorism and security cooperation. The talks come ahead of President Biden's meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. That session is set to address economic competition between the two superpowers, as well as the war in Ukraine. An analyst says the meeting between the two leaders is important because Russia is seeking military aid from China. He also points out something he noticed from the meeting between U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and China's top diplomat. 
it's quite plain looking at those readouts that the Chinese uh, are, given their increasing degree of international isolation on Ukraine, uh, seeking to normalize to some extent uh, their relationship and engagement with Washington at this stage. That, I think, provides an opportunity for the United States to press home the core political, diplomatic and military factors which are alive in the Zelensky uh, request to the collective West to secure uh, Ukraine's long-term viability. But running alongside the meeting is a big question. Which country is benefiting from sanctions on Russia the most? According to an expert in the Chinese regime and a director in the financial services industry across the Asia-Pacific region, China is benefiting the most. He says China can import the 4.8 million barrels of Russian oil that were set to go to countries that have imposed sanctions on Russia. He says China can triple its import capacity in a matter of months under the Belt and Road Initiative. And he says China is happy to buy Russian oil at a discount and then profit off of it by selling it or using it to further Beijing's global manufacturing ambitions. But not everyone agrees. According to CNN Business, China is making life harder for Russia. Here are some reasons why they say China is distancing itself from Russia quietly. The People's Bank of China doubled the size of the Russian ruble's trading range. This has allowed the currency to fall even faster. And since the exchange rate is fluctuating between the two countries, Chinese car maker Great Wall Motor has stopped sending new cars to dealers in Russia. What's more, Russian airlines could run out of parts in a few weeks because of the sanctions. And China has said it will not send aircraft parts to Russia. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping had a video call about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Chinese media said she stressed that such conflict is not in anyone's interest. Biden, in turn, said Beijing would pay a high price if it supports the invasion. The call came just 12 hours after a Chinese aircraft carrier sailed through the sensitive Taiwan Strait. Taiwanese warships and a U.S. guided missile destroyer tracked the carrier over part of its passage. Taiwan has been self-governed since the end of China's civil war in 1949. The island has never been under the control of the Chinese Communist Party. But the party claims that Taiwan is a breakaway territory that should be reunited with mainland China. For more than two years, the regime's military aircraft have been flying over Taiwan's air defense identification zone. That's a clear gesture of intimidation and coercion. Some of the images and subject matter in this next story on the war in Ukraine are graphic and may be hard to hear or see. We're learning more about an American citizen who has been killed in Ukraine. Russian forces are ramping up and unleashing lethal attacks on civilians across Ukraine and abducting local Ukrainian officials to replace them with what the U.S. State Department is calling Russian puppets. Here's the latest on that story. Gunshots and blasts thunder through the streets of Skidovsk. Ukrainian citizens protesting the detention of their mayor face off against Russian forces. They're also likely to systematically kidnap local officials and replace them with puppets. Again, this has already begun. The mayor of Melitopol was grabbed off the street several days ago, released yesterday in a prisoner exchange. The mayor of another city in southern Ukraine was also kidnapped. 
He hasn't yet been let go. The United States State Department confirming an American citizen has been killed by Russian shelling in Chernev. The advisor to Ukraine's interior minister identified the victim as 67-year-old James Whitney Hill from Minnesota. Hill was among several people killed when Russian artillery opened fire on civilians. We don't know where my brother's body is. Um, so uh, that kind of closure um, the family won't have right now. Now, after U.S. intelligence reports China is showing openness to aid Russia in their invasion of Ukraine. This is a conversation about where President Xi stands. It's up to the Chinese to decide where they want to stand, where they want to be as the history books are written. The Chinese National Guard denies Russian reports of three American fighters killed in Ukraine. The fighters are current and former Tennessee Guardsmen. The Tennessee National Guard says they are alive and well. A report published in Russia's Pravda newspaper identified the Americans by name and gave military ranks for each of them. The report even described items they owned that it said was near their remains. But a spokesperson for the U.S. National Guard calls it fake news. The Tennessee Guard says the three men are safe and accounted for. The National Guard speculated that Russian-backed militia in Ukraine chose to report on the three men after reviewing official imagery associated with a 2018 deployment. At that time, Tennessee's 278th Armored Cavalry Regiment was in Ukraine. President Biden ordered the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Ukraine before Russia's invasion of the country. That was part of a broader effort to avoid a direct confrontation. The British defense minister says the UK will deploy its Sky Sabre missile defense system in Poland. NATO is moving to bolster its eastern flank in light of the Russia-Ukraine war. British defense minister Ben Wallace spoke in Warsaw on Thursday. He said the UK is deploying the missile defense system and 100 personnel to Poland to protect Polish airspace from Russia. The UK Ministry of Defense says the Sky Sabre system can intercept an object the size of a tennis ball traveling at the speed of sound. Its radar can scan for threats at a distance of 75 miles, and its launcher has eight missiles that can hit fighter aircraft, drones, and laser-guided smart bombs. The British Ministry of Defense says the system is being deployed after a request from the Polish government. British intelligence said setbacks were leading Russian forces to use less precise weapons that are more likely to cause civilian harm. British troops are stationed in Poland as part of a NATO multinational battle group. Russia's war against Ukraine is boosting U.S. arms sales to European allies. Multiple countries have sent shopping lists of weaponry to U.S. government and defense contractors Sources reveal that Germany is close to a deal with Lockheed Martin to buy 35 F-35 fighter jets. The country has also inquired about systems to defend against ballistic missiles. According to a Polish government official, Poland is eager to buy advanced Reaper drone systems. Other Eastern European countries have their heart set on the weaponry Ukraine has successfully used against Russian forces. These include anti-aircraft Stinger missiles, and anti-tank Javelin missiles. Given the growing uncertainty of security in the region, Germany, Sweden, and Denmark have all pledged huge increases in defense. A senior U.S. defense official said the Pentagon has teamed up with contractors. They are now working to expedite stockpiles replenishment to meet the needs from both Ukraine and allies. 
The U.S. House voted Thursday to end normal trade relations with Russia and neighboring Belarus. It's Congress's latest effort to punish Moscow over its invasion of Ukraine. Removing the two countries' most favored nation trade status means they will no longer enjoy preferential tariff treatment. This will further isolate them from the global trading system. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the bill would also expand the Global Magnitsky Human Rights Accountability Act, making it even easier to impose further sanctions on Russian officials. The House vote comes a day after Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made an emotional plea to Congress for more support. Only eight Republicans voted against Thursday's bill. They say the Magnitsky provision gives too much power to the president. But analysts say a bill may be a largely symbolic move anyway. The U.S. already banned Russian energy products last week, which make up the bulk of American imports from Russia. To become law, the measure must now go through the Senate, where Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he expects it to pass quickly. Next, we hear from author Jesse Kanzer. She worked as a waitress and actress in New York in her 20s. At the time, she worked on a movie with then-comedian, now-Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Kanzer has relatives in Ukraine. She says that some of her extended family have fled the country, while others have stayed. She says they are going to defend their freedom and their way of life. Kanzer starts by giving us some background on what her family has endured over the generations. So my father uh, was born in Ukraine. I was born in Latvia. My mother, whose family suffered under the Soviet regime, her family's from Latvia, but they were sent to the Stalin gulags in Siberia, which is where she was born. And uh, really, my family are war-torn people. They're uh, people who have suffered under these tyrannical rulers who, for many generations. My father's family had to run from Ukraine during the Holocaust, during World War II. Uh, they were Ukrainian Jews. They had to flee. They came back. On my uh, father's paternal side, my grandfather was a World War II hero, injured three times during World War II, defending defending freedom, defending his people. And now we, it's really sad to see that this part of the world is cast into the same kind of repetitive pattern. But I really have high hopes that they will triumph. I have family there still. My grandma's cousin, who is almost 90 years old, is in Mikolaev. Uh, she has sent her great-grandkids away. They're, they're the same age as my own children. But she is there. Her son's there. Her grandson is there. And the people are staying, and they're going to defend their freedom, their way of life. And I really, my hope is with them, as I know the rest of us are also praying for them. Jesse, what can you tell us about the mindset of Ukrainians right now as they go through this crisis? I can tell you that I've never seen a more inspirational people, and I've really been very impressed. So I really take a lot of pride in um, having written about Vladimir Zelensky in my book out now, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, because I was watching him and his great rise to power that was so unlikely. And I have a section in here called My Zelensky. I'm so proud that I have been following him for this long, because I think what he really does is he, he encapsulates the spirit of his people, who are a peaceful people. They're teaching us that, as he said in his speech to Congress, peace over profit, that we are really here to, as a, as a 
family, a human family. And there are so many of us around the world, as we're seeing, who just want peace and love and connection. And that's what he and his people are defending right now. And that's what they want. They just want a simple, peaceful way of life. So I think that no matter what's going on, their morale is staying strong because they have leaders like Zelensky. They have leaders like their mayors, which have been, you know, I watch them in my native tongue of Russian because they all speak Ukrainian and Russian. And I hear them talk to their people. They're so vulnerable. They're so human. And I think they're really helping these these people in power who are being amazing leaders during a difficult time. They're helping keep morale up. Germany's chancellor says the upcoming influx of Ukrainians will be a major challenge for the country. And in Sweden, a new bill for receiving refugees is in the works. In a meeting with state leaders, Germany's chancellor Olaf Scholz said that the influx of Ukrainian refugees is posing a challenge to the country. The numbers are already very high of those coming to Europe as refugees. Poland took in most of them by far, but in Germany too. Numbers are increasing and we know this will be a big, big challenge. But Scholz also said it will be easy for Ukrainians to settle in Germany as they don't need a visa to enter the country. They'll also have access to health care and education, as well as language and integration courses. In Munich, the country's third largest city, large numbers of Ukrainians are arriving by train. The city's fire department chief, who is also the manager of Munich's Ukraine Crisis Center, said COVID testing is a must for refugees due to rising infections. They are being received and served food and drink. If they are taking up accommodations, they are, of course, tested for COVID. He noted the difference between the current wave and the one in 2015, when Germany took hundreds of thousands from Syria. The type of people arriving now is completely different. At the time, it was mostly young men aged between 20 and 25. Now it's mostly women with their children, often small children. So far, German police have registered almost 190,000 Ukrainians who fled the Russian war. Further north, countries like Sweden are also responding with new measures. Swedish lawmakers are weighing a bill to impose identity checks on incoming buses, trains or passenger ships. Country's migration agencies said the number of Ukrainians applying for protection is now approaching 5,300. Europe will no longer be attempting to send its first rover to Mars this year. The European Space Agency says it is indefinitely suspending the mission due to the war in Ukraine. Here are the details. The European Space Agency, or ESA, said Thursday that it is practically and politically impossible to launch ExoMars in September due to the war in Ukraine. The agency partnered with Russia's state-owned space agency Roscosmos on this mission but decided to suspend the partnership this week. The lander is the element where Russian technology uh, is uh, involved and is, uh, is necessary uh, in today's setup. Uh, so what we need to do is really look into these options. Uh, this is what I mentioned before. Uh, we are, uh, have been asked to launch uh, technical studies now to see what are the options uh, and uh, exactly as you ask uh, um, uh, the options in terms of European alone or Europe uh, with other partners. The project started in 2005. ESA now says the launch probably won't happen until around 2026. Meanwhile, Russian cosmonauts comment on the prospects of a Russian space station. Indeed, construction of the Russian orbital space station called ROS is being discussed, but it is still in the under-discussion stage. 
As for the cosmonaut corps, our main task is to fly to space. We want to have as many flights as possible, as diverse as possible. The Russian cosmonaut is part of the new crew set up to go to the International Space Station on Friday. U.S.-Russian cooperation aboard the International Space Station remains free of tension despite the war in Ukraine. Some Democrat Party activists in Wisconsin have filed a lawsuit against three GOP lawmakers. They claim they should be barred from serving in Congress in light of their words and actions regarding the January 6th Capitol breach. Wisconsin Democrats filed a lawsuit in federal court looking to bar three Republicans from running for office in 2022. They cite their remarks and actions which allegedly led up to the Capitol breach on January 6, 2021. The lawsuit targets Senator Ron Johnson and Representatives Tom Tiffany and Scott Fitzgerald. All three are seeking re-election this coming November. The plaintiffs are all registered voters in Wisconsin. In an 80-page complaint filed to a district court, they claim that the three lawmakers, quote, engaged in overt acts in furtherance of a conspiracy meant to foment public distrust in the outcome of the 2020 election. The lawsuit argues that these lawmakers should be barred from office. It references Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, a rarely invoked clause enacted to keep former Confederates out of Congress following the Civil War. It prohibits anyone from holding federal office who's taken an oath to protect the Constitution, but has also engaged in rebellion against the nation. Senator Ron Johnson dismissed the case as frivolous. In an email to the Epoch Times, he wrote that, quote, Democrats have ignored the summer 2020 riots and relentlessly used January 6th as a political cudgel. Joseph S. Good, the plaintiff's attorney, responded to his comment. He told the Epoch Times that, quote, the lawsuit is comprised of factual and legal claims, and every fact in our pleading is based on matters of public record. Authorities in North Carolina have launched an investigation into possible voter fraud by former Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. They accuse him of registering to vote at an address where he does not live. A spokeswoman for the state attorney general told the New York Times the state is looking into if Meadows broke the law. A March 6th report from the New Yorker sparked the investigation. The article stated that for the 2020 election, Meadows registered to vote from a mobile home address where he has never lived. Lying on a voter registration form is a felony in North Carolina, and voters can only have one official address linked to their registration. WRAL News reported that Meadows and his wife both voted in the 2020 elections by absentee ballot sent to their Washington home. Meadows is a Republican. He served in the House of Representatives from 2013 to 2020. He then resigned to become then-President Donald Trump's White House Chief of Staff. The TSA says it issued more than 900 civil penalties and over 2,700 warnings since February 2021. These were against people who failed to comply with mask requirements. In a TSA report, the agency says it proposed over $640,000 in fines to over 900 people for mask violations. The fines were issued on commercial flights and in airports, train stations, or on public transit services. Most fines came from onboard aircraft incidents. The agency announced last week it's extending its mask mandate for at least another month. An earlier mask order from the CDC was due to expire March 18th. Two major aviation groups have recently called for COVID-19-related restrictions to be lifted.
They cite the downward trend of hospitalizations and deaths due to herd immunity and a study that shows the effects of virus measures are limited. A new study reports that ticks with a virus could potentially prove fatal to humans have been discovered in Georgia. The CDC says the Heartland virus is emerging infectious disease that can cause symptoms like fever, fatigue, and muscle or joint pain. Many individuals diagnosed with the virus have been hospitalized and some with underlying health conditions have died. There are currently no vaccines or medications that can prevent or treat the infection, and antibiotics don't work. Scientists from Emory University say they discovered the virus circulating among Lone Star ticks in central Georgia. Lone Star ticks are the most common tick in the state. They are found mostly in woodlands with dense undergrowth. The senior author of the study says that Heartland is an emerging infectious disease that is not well understood. They say they're trying to get ahead of the virus before it becomes a bigger problem. Coming up, as the pandemic recedes, some COVID-19 survivors contend with psychological trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder after battling the infection. We look at what they're doing to manage it here after the break. fire has scorched more than 38,000 acres in West Texas as of Thursday night. That's according to the Texas A&M Forest Service. Officials say there is zero containment on the blaze as crews focus on making sure people are safe and buildings are spared. Residents in Brown, Comanche, and Eastland counties have been ordered to evacuate. Some shelters are open for people in need. The Texas Department of Public Safety is requesting the closure of part of State Highway 153 because of heavy smoke. A restaurant in Minneapolis had to close its doors after a bus drove through its windows. Take a look. The bus crashed into the Acadia Cafe, plowing through the coffee bar and right through the cash register. Luckily, the restaurant was empty and there were just two employees inside at the time. No one got hurt. The same goes for the bus and another car involved. No injuries. Exactly how it happened is what police are still trying to figure out. In the meantime, the restaurant has set up a fundraiser to help pay staff while they're shut down. As concerns over COVID-19 ease in much of the world, some patients are still coping with what's known as long COVID and suffer from long-term symptoms post-infection. But others are contending with more psychological trauma and have developed post-traumatic stress disorder after battling the virus. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Mark Richards is one of many struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder following his hospitalization with COVID-19-related pneumonia. His wife was also sick in the fall of 2020 and almost died. He says he can't forget the sounds inside the Milwaukee area field hospital set up for overflow COVID-19 patients. The dreams I would have were just so intense. Um, So intense to a point where I slept in another bedroom because I was worried these were so violent. 
that maybe I could hurt my wife. PTSD is commonly associated with military combat veterans, but it can occur after exposure to other violent, dangerous, or frightening events. And now the CDC lists it as an effect of COVID-19 illness or hospitalization. Director at the National Center for PTSD, Sonia Norman, and her colleagues want to better understand how often COVID-19 patients develop it. Certainly COVID has brought about certain situations that could count as that traumatic event. Like, for example, if someone suddenly finds themselves unable to breathe and really thinks they're going to die, right, um, that could certainly be a traumatic event. Or, you know, someone you love um, develops abrupt COVID and you're watching them waiting for the ambulance thinking they're going to die because they can't breathe. Psychologist Lawrence Miller works with the center's COVID survivors clinic, which concentrates on mental health issues related to COVID. It's part of their post-COVID multi-specialty clinic developed in 2021 to help with COVID-19 complications. Like a magnet that attracts all of the, the old stuff, you know, and there's this energy between, uh, between the current experience and the past experiences that can give rise to um, problems now. We'll put on site four. Richard says therapy and medication have helped him, but he fears getting COVID-19 again, especially because his lungs are now permanently damaged. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. NASA's Artemis mission is slowly moving to its eventual goal of a lunar launch. Rollout of the space launch system marks a key milestone in U.S. plans for renewed lunar exploration after years of setbacks. This will be the public's first glimpse of a space vehicle that is more than a decade in development. The mega rocket stands taller than the Statue of Liberty. It's being slowly rolled to its launch pad on a tractor crawler the size of a baseball diamond. It's moving at a speed of less than a mile per hour on a four-mile journey. Once secured at the pad, the SLS Orion ship will be prepared for a critical pre-flight test called a wet dress rehearsal. That will begin on April 3rd and take about two days to complete. NASA has said it was reviewing potential Artemis 1 launch windows in April and May, but the timeline could change depending on results of the dress rehearsal. Japanese tire manufacturer Bridgestone says its U.S. subsidiary was hit by a ransomware attack. This comes just weeks after suppliers of automaker Toyota Motor Corp. reported similar attacks. Bridgestone says that third-party unauthorized access was made at Bridgestone Americas on February 27th. This prompted the company to shut down the computer network and production at its factories in North and Central America for about a week. An investigation later determined the incident to be a ransomware attack. Details about the ransom claims were not provided. Bridgestone supplies tires to Toyota and other car manufacturers the company says it later reconnected the network after a security check. The announcement comes about two weeks after Toyota supplier Denso Corporation detected a similar attack at an office in Germany. Just ahead, protests break out on the streets of Peru after a court allows the release of the country's former president from prison. The 83-year-old has been pardoned once before. Find out more after the break. Protests broke out on the streets of Peru's capital on Thursday. This after its top court ruled that ex-president Alberto Fujimori 
could leave prison. Fujimori was sentenced to prison until 2032 for corruption, as well as human rights violations during the 1990s. That's when death squads cracked down on the brutal Shining Path guerrilla group. Critics said that tens of thousands of others died or disappeared during that time. We've spontaneously come out to react to this unjust and illegal decision from the Constitutional Tribunal, which gives Fujimori freedom. He is a former president who violated human rights. We are demanding that our right to justice is guaranteed as relatives of the victims who were massacred. The 83-year-old Fujimori had been pardoned once before in 2017 after spending a decade in jail. But that decision was overturned just a few months later after an international court intervened on grounds of irregularity. That set a precedent for Thursday's pardon to be questioned once again. On Twitter, Peru's current president, leftist Pedro Castillo, who is an opponent to Fujimori's political legacy, called the court's decision a reflection of what he said was an institutional crisis. Fujimori, however, is not without his staunch supporters. Some celebrated the news outside of Peru's top court on Thursday. The former leader's allies include his daughter, Kiko, who has run for president three times, have long said the struggles with poor health and deserved a pardon on humanitarian grounds. Bulgaria's former prime minister and leader of the largest opposition GERB party, Boyko Borisov, was detained late on Thursday. The Interior Ministry said it was part of a police operation linked to probes by the EU Public Prosecutor's Office. Former Premier Borisov's decade-long rule ended last April. That election showed popular anger over high-level corruption in the country. A new coalition government took office in December, pledging zero tolerance on graft. Three other members of Borisov's center-right GERB party were also detained. They include former finance minister. Borisov is a former bodyguard of late communist-era dictator Todor Zhivkov. He has led the Balkan country with short breaks from 2009 until last April. His support was bolstered by hefty public spending on infrastructure projects, but there were massive demonstrations against graft in 2020. At the time, protesters accused Borisov of collaborating with the country's chief prosecutor for the benefit of local oligarchs and businesses close to his party. Borisov has denied any wrongdoing. Bulgaria, ranked as the EU's most corrupt member state by Transparency International, is yet to jail a senior official on graft charges. The country is also the European Union's poorest member state. Former First Lady of Honduras has been charged with fraud and embezzlement. The country's court system voted unanimously to convict Rosa Elena Bonilla and her former private secretary, Saul Escobar. Both will be held in prison until March 28th when the court system will decide their sentence. Bonilla's defense said they will appeal the court's decision. A dramatic sandstorm was seen engulfing the Diego de Almagro commune in Chile, leaving more than 9,000 homes temporarily without power. Video showed a large looming cloud of dust approaching the town of Diego de Almagro in northern Chile on the edge of the Atacama Desert. Authorities kept the region on alert for possible thunderstorms, sandstorms, heavy rainfall, and hail. The commune's mayor said it's been years since they saw phenomenon such as this, but that luckily they were prepared. 
Rain and hail blocked roads, and 75 houses reportedly suffered damage in one village. The Atacama Desert is the driest non-polar desert in the world. Heavy rainfall hit the area in 2015, triggering mud flows and causing more than 100 people's deaths. Venice gondoliers needed all their skills to navigate as the lagoon city was hit by an exceptional low tide. Traditional gondolas and boats could be seen almost beach in the canals as water levels reached a peak of 20 inches, creating an unusual landscape in the lagoon city. Venice is loved around the world for its canals, historic architecture, and art. It's always lived in a fragile balance between low and high tides that create variations of around 20 inches in sea levels. Flooding is a constant enemy of the city with every new incursion damaging its medieval and Renaissance palaces. Venice's floods are caused by a combination of factors from rising sea levels and unusually high tides to land that the city is built on sinking into the ground. Amazon buys MGM Movie Studio for $8.5 billion. The tech giant has been hoping to draw people to its video streaming service by boosting its content. All that and more here on NTD News. The St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City made a full-fledged comeback yesterday after two years of pandemic restrictions. The event fell on a rainy day, but smiles and spirits were still bright. NTD's Arian Pastar was at the parade. The world's largest St. Patrick's Day Parade is back right here in New York City. It's the first parade after three years and there are no COVID restrictions at all. Guys, how do you feel? Shamrocks, bagpipes, and everything else Irish. That's St. Patrick's Day in New York City. New York, we love you, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Go green! Besides traditional Irish culture, the parade also included service members and much more. So what do the Irish think about New York's parade? You come literally from Ireland, now you're in New York City on St. Patrick's Day. Is it what you hoped it to be, or...? It's better, bigger, it's more, and it's... Particularly the pandemic we just come from, it's absolutely fantastic. It's great to be Irish today. They, of course, passed by St. Patrick's Cathedral, where the morning mass was held before the parade kicked off. It wasn't just the Irish who traveled here. We came from Austin, Texas, and it's definitely worth it. Don't you guys think it was worth it? Yes. And the locals also appreciated having an event like this after two years of lockdowns. With all the suffering going on in the world today, to have a day like today to just see people together and really, you know... To laugh, you know, to have fun, have some joy. It's itself. really nice uh, that Irish Heritage uh, back and the city to be open again. New York City's St. Patrick's Day Parade is one of the oldest non-military parades in the world. Although today's been a bit rainy here, visitors seem to have fun enjoying live music, dancing and more. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. Animals at the Brookfield Zoo outside Chicago celebrated St. Patrick's Day with special treats prepared by zoo staff. There were plenty of shamrock-shaped and green-themed nutritious treats for the animals to enjoy. Norman, a seven-year-old Cape porcupine, and the western lowland gorillas received shamrock-shaped treats made of a complete balanced biscuit and gelatin. The gorilla's bedding, which is wood wool, was festively dyed green in celebration of the holiday. 
The gray seals and bottlenose dolphins received St. Patrick's Day treats made of gelatin, ice, and green-dyed squid. And Hudson, one of the zoo's polar bears, seemed to be enjoying clawing and gnawing through a green block of ice to get at meat, bones, and fish that were frozen inside. Amazon now officially owns MGM Movie Studio. The tech giant closed its $8.5 billion deal yesterday. This means Amazon will be able to add about 4,000 movies to its library. Here are the details. Amazon on Thursday said it closed its $8.5 billion deal to buy MGM. This comes after a deadline passed for the Federal Trade Commission to challenge the deal. Amazon aims to draw people to its video streaming platform, Amazon Prime Video, and compete with rivals such as Netflix and Disney+. With this MGM acquisition, Amazon will add about 4,000 films to its library, including the iconic James Bond franchise. Um, MGM also has a deep library of about 17,000 episodes of television content, so this is a big deal. In a statement, Amazon said it would welcome all MGM employees to the company and work with the studio's leadership. They say there won't be any layoffs. Amazon announced the transaction in May 2021, but only cleared regulatory hurdles after nearly a year. We often find that these acquisitions are worth every penny because what they do is they ensure long-term success because content is king. And no matter the platform, consumers, they go where the content is. He says we can expect to see more of these types of acquisitions in the future. Well, I think it just shows that we're in the Wild West right now when it comes to streaming services and that so many of them are trying to differentiate themselves by having great content. It really is, what movies can I watch? What TV shows do you have? How do you keep me on your platform? The Federal Trade Commission declined to comment on the deal but notes that it may challenge a deal after it closes if it determines that it violates the law. Today in entertainment news, learning from the best in animation and the worst in golf. Here's the Hollywood Minute. I'm going to show you how to draw Olaf. Captain Hook. Cusco from the Emperor's New Groove. Simba. Mirabelle from Encanto. We are going to learn how to draw the genie. Artists from Walt Disney Animation Studios show viewers how to make the magic in the new show, Sketchbook. In each of the six episodes, an artist teaches how to draw a character that either they helped create or inspired them to become an animation artist. Sketchbook premieres April 27th on Disney+. Please welcome on the team, Morris Flipcroft. Where is it? Oh, God. How does it feel to have shot the worst round in the history of the Open? That's hard to tell. It's the first round I've ever played. Here's your first look at Mark Rylance and Sally Hawkins in The Phantom of the Open, based on the true story of a man who entered the prestigious British Open despite never having played golf before, infuriating the sports elite and becoming a folk hero. The Phantom of the Open swings into U.S. theaters June 3rd. The Lost Masterpiece by Italian neoclassical sculptor Antonio Canova was rediscovered recently. The marble sculpture of Mary Magdalene will head to auction in July. Uh, it's a very important commission, commissioned by the uh, Earl of Liverpool, who was British Prime Minister, and it took three years to carve, uh, finished in 1822, exactly 200 years ago. 
and it's just recently come to light after having been in collections in the 20th century unrecognized as a significant marble by Canova. The sculpture depicts Mary Magdalene in a state of religious euphoria. Canova completed it just months before his death in 1822. It was one of his last works. The sculpture had been famous in the 19th century, but after changing hands in the 20th century, the connection with Canova was lost. The piece is currently on show at Christie's London and will go on tour to New York and Hong Kong. Auction House Christie's expects the sculpture to fetch around six to $10 million at the auction in July. Paleontologists have unearthed the skull of a ferocious marine predator. It's an ancient ancestor of modern-day whales and once lived in a prehistoric ocean in part of what is now Peru. The roughly 36-million-year-old, well-preserved skull was dug up intact last year from the bone-dry rocks of a southern desert in Peru. It has rows of long, pointy teeth. Scientists think the ancient mammal was a basilosaurus. Its contemporary descendants include whales, dolphins, and porpoises. Basilosaurus means king lizard, although the animal was not a reptile. But its long body might have moved like a giant snake. The one-time top predator likely measured some 39 feet long, or about the height of a four-story building. Scientists believe the first descendants of the Basilosaurus evolved from mammals that lived on land some 55 million years ago. That would have been about 10 million years after an asteroid struck near what is now Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula. The blow wiped out most life on Earth, including the dinosaurs. Peru's National University of San Marcos says when the ancient Basilosaurus died, its skull likely sunk to the bottom of the sea floor where it was quickly buried and preserved. It's never too late to start taking care of your brain, so let's get some tips on preventing dementia. Here's Gina Marie who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Did you know that up to 40% of dementia cases can be prevented or delayed if we change our health habits? Here are five lifestyle changes to protect your cognitive function. Eat two to three servings of oily fish each week. Oily fish are rich in omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids. A few examples include salmon, sardines, and mackerel. Omega-3s have anti-inflammatory effects and have been shown to significantly reduce blood pressure. Omega-3s are also needed to support the function of our brain cells and are essential nutrients. This means that we need to get them from our diet. Eat plant foods with every meal. Plant foods such as leafy greens, extra virgin olive oil, blueberries, nuts and pulses all contain a wide range of vitamins and minerals. Diets high in plant foods such as the Mediterranean diet have been shown to improve blood pressure, glucose regulation and body composition. They've also been linked to lower rates of cognitive decline, better markers of brain health and a lower risk of dementia. Eat less processed food. On the other hand, saturated fats, refined carbohydrates, and red and processed meats are believed to trigger inflammatory pathways. Highly processed foods have been linked to hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and obesity. Whole grains provide fiber, vitamin B, 
vitamin E, magnesium and phytonutrients. These have anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties. Get physical and make it fun. Physical activity can reduce inflammation and blood pressure. It also improves memory and other cognitive functions. Any movement that raises your heart rate can be classified as physical activity. This includes gardening, walking and even household chores. Quit smoking. Smokers are 60% more likely to develop dementia than non-smokers. This is because smoking increases inflammation and oxidative stress. This harms the structure and function of our blood vessels. Obesity and high blood pressure in midlife are key predictors of dementia risk. Diabetes, physical inactivity and smoking are stronger predictors later in life. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Russia and Ukraine, the largest conflict in Europe since World War II. More than two million refugees in two weeks, families torn apart, lives changed forever. A war with global consequences. Tune in for special coverage from our reporters on the ground, right here on NTD News.